I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think it's always been like that, and I think we've allowed ourselves at times to be impressed by little models that have broken the mold. You know, the advert told you the thing was cutting through the wind and it felt like it was cutting through the wind and I've never been so excited getting into a new car. But that V8 manual is just was just such a brilliant car. Hello and welcome to the Collecting Addicts podcast. I'm reliably informed this is episode number 36. I'm in Italy where I have just failed to finish the modern Accenza Ore and have drunk five lagers, so I might be a bit gobby. Chris Cooper's in the UK, as is Manish Pandey, as is Neil Clifford. Edward Lovett is in Australia. It's 5am and his forehead was shiny, but at our request has covered it with a hat. Now, the agenda for today is important. You've been drinking grappa as well. I've not been on the grapper. I'm going to do that immediately after this podcast. So, <laughs> to business, Audi. Is it the brand of the Upwardly Mobile or is it the brand of the See You Next Tuesday? Neil Clifford, please discuss. Well, I just don't get Audi anymore. <laughs> right? I've been thinking long and hard on this because I'm on a lovely little WhatsApp group with some amazingly stylish Scottish racing car drivers and Audi is one of the biggest subjects because a lot of more successful Scottish men than me have houses where they go and ski which I actually don't like skiing at all but when they go and ski they love to buy Audis and all these SQ7s and SQ9s and RS6 Performantes or whatever they're called and I, I need automotive Viagra. I can literally not get excited about the brand Audi anymore, ever. And I'd like to discuss why, because why is that? I've got lots of opinions on that. You know, I think they're, it's like going to the John Lewis kettle department or look at <laughs> Morphe, Richard, Morphe Richards 
ironing boards. It's yeah, give so me that one. Fucking boring. You're being they're very boring colours nice and boring interiors, and they're driven by boring people. And I just don't really understand the brand. And I'd like to discuss that with my learned colleagues because maybe I'll learn something. It didn't used to be like that, though, did it? No, it didn't. No. Ah, you know what? Wrong. I disagree with you. I think I think it did used to be like that. I think it's always been like that. And I think we've allowed ourselves at times to be impressed by little models that have broken the mould. But fundamentally, we scrutinise Audi over the last 30 years. Is there a single model that you really go, wah, over? Not just, oh, I quite respect it, and oh, I'd like to drive it to Chamonix for the weekend. But is there a model that makes you go, bloody hell, driving that changed my life? No, I don't know. I bought the RS6 V10 thing and it was shit. The steering was crap. It was wooden. It felt like there were 50 boxes of bricks in the back. The dash was horrible. The fonts was horrible. It was the interior was chavy and plasticky. Everything was wrong with it. I sold it immediately, not on collectingcars.com. Wasn't around. <laughs> right. One of us, okay, I've got to be sensible here, people, because we can't just assassinate brands without having a voice of defence. One yes. of us owns an Audi. Manish, please tell us about <laughs> why... Manish, you have one minute now beginning on the subject of Audi. <laughs> Hesitation, <laughs> deviation or repetition are not allowed. Am I allowed to laugh? <laughs> so look, last week's episode, remember I was telling you, I'm looking to replace my 16-year-old uh, beast. And I did sit in an A6, a pretty well-spec one, as I said last week. It was the most meh experience of my yeah. life. But I will say, in I remember, do you remember the, the very beautiful Audi 100 that came out? It was about 35 years ago. And it was the one that they advertised with the coefficient of drag it's of cute. exactly 0 0.30. Yeah. And um, a friend, a friend's mother bought one in Switzerland. I remember to, I, he, he picked me up at the airport and I'd never seen anything so beautiful. I mean, they took the basic hat-shaped car and sculpted it in a way that mm. I, you know, it was, and the interior felt very special. And, you know, the advert told you the thing was cutting through the wind and it felt like it was cutting through the wind. And I've never been so excited getting into a new car. But I think beyond that, I'd say you're absolutely right. I mean, the reason why I bought an A4 was I, I was looking for an estate that was just not too big. And I found this A4 Avant and I ordered the thing online and as I said, it had a fridge in it. You know, that was the one thing I specified. You could buy it and, you know, all the other bits and pieces. But no, I, it's really difficult. You mean to somebody left a fridge in the boot. Is that what you mean? No, no, it's, an, it's, it's brilliant. It's a glove compartment. So you open the glove compartment. There's a small, because our son was one, and I figured cold milk on long journeys. And my wife said, oh, no, 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 you don't want to get that. It's a ridiculous, and we use it every single journey. It's a great little fridge. The Keeps your milk. chocolates and your water very, very cold. But yeah. I think Neil's spot on. It's just the most underwhelming car company, full stop. It's just underwhelming. There's nothing- It is now. I, yeah. What about now, this Sport Quattro? Really? No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. And Michelle Mouton's Audi Quattro. That's mm. the other kind of exception. You know, in the 80s, when she was carving up Africa, driving that car, that was a bloody sexy car. But that's Diesel Gate. Dieselgate, Dieselgate, Dieselgate didn't have right. Audi R8 V10 manual. But the right. Al I want to hear what Chris. Right, I want to hear what Chris Cooper is about to say about Dieselgate. 
So Dieselgate didn't help. I mean, even though you could argue that Dieselgate wasn't just an Audi phenomenon, it was sort of, it sort of spoke of a mentality and an attitude that was cynical. And I think when you have that kind of cynicism and dishonesty, it's very hard if you end up with a product, whether it's legally defined and it's fuel consumption or it's, it's messiness or pollutingness, you just end up with, and they were so diesel gate, the evidence suggested that the first cars that were cheating arrived in the late noughties. So they must have been thinking about it from the mid noughties at the very least. Even if they didn't do it, they must have been thinking about it. If there's so any lawyer listens to this, Chris is alleging that they might have been doing this from the late noughties. I'm, I'm speculating. Yes. Yes, I'm speculating. Um, but it just speaks of a cynicism and dishonesty, which makes you think, how good's the car going to be? Which is going to be, and now you roll that forward, where they clearly got found out, and a lot of people, some quite capable people, their slight dishonesty and criminality aside, went to jail. And you look at, I mean, we talked about this over the weekend. It's just lots of Q tanks, a small mm. Q tank yeah. or a big Q tank. They're all just tanks. And the, I do think, I know when the Quattro first appeared that anybody who was a little boy like I was, who went to the motor show in Birmingham in 1980, when the Quattro was there. And that those adverts, remember Jeffrey Palmer, the actor who oh, did yeah. sort of the yeah, voiceovers? Yeah. Vorsprung, der technique, as they like to say in Germany. You think, that's just brilliant. I mean, okay, substance might not be as exciting. We try, but now we think it's not all that. But for a while there was, and the RS6, for a while, did have that marketplace for, not the one that you had, the C, the C7, the one I had one in 2016. It's a big cylinder. So you said that was, the, that was the V8 one. It was a little slower than mine, I think. Yeah. It was... Yeah, I'd one of those. But it was just okay. It was just okay. It wasn't that special. So Good seats. I, so, yeah, I think it's just got to the point where they stopped caring. They just okay. stopped caring. I, 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 I've got some strike, strike, quite strong feelings about Audi. First of all, before we go there, Jeffrey Palmer, in the episode in which he cameoed in Faulty Towers... Waldorf salad, you'll remember. Oh, what was the oh. food? What was the food that he absolutely demanded but couldn't get? Um, didn't he want a screwdriver? Sausages. He wanted to cook sausages. Coming in, sausages. That's right. He was in the kitchen, wasn't he? In the kitchen. I just want some bloody sausages. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the Audi thing is unfortunately one of the great confidence tricks, industrial confidence tricks of our time. Ooh. Audi was. Nothing more than a rebadged Volkswagen in uh, in Germany for many years. My mother had an Audi 80 estate in the mid to late 70s. It was a Passat. It was a Passat with a different badge on it. So it was it was really a, it was a nothing. It was a badge exercise. And then the and then Piech forced the Quattro through, which which changed motorsport. And the car itself was technologically very interesting. You know, it was a bit flawed. It had an inline longitudinal five cylinder engine to one side. With like the battery on the other side, it was all weird under the bonnet, but it had four wheel drive and it and it built a brand. In fact, it did more for the brand in two and a half years of rallying or three years of rallying than all of its prototype bollocks did in ten years. I won't deny that. But the cars were always fashion over form. They never ever were based on 
what you'd call cutting edge engineering. Audi never wanted to go out and beat Mercedes and BMW by making mm. better cars than them. They wanted to have better dealerships, better looking cars. Remember, Audi for years boasted about anti-corrosion. That was the, the reason for buying yeah. a B5, A4, or the car before it, the one with no boot, was that it didn't corrode. What a way to sell something. Not you'll love owning this or you'll feel good, but it won't rust. Oh, great. Anyhow, and that Audi 100 that Manish talks about was an incredible motor vehicle because it looked like a spaceship from Weird. the outside, but it had a beam rear suspension. If you look at them from the rear, they just got a torsion beam at the back. Yeah. They had the rear Massive overhangs, front and rear. So, and Audi have always been like this. And about 20-something years ago, in the back of Autocar magazine, I wrote a column called Why I Hate the Audi TT. <laughs> and Audi never really spoke to me properly after that. And I, I sort of regret it. It was childish. I just said that ultimately it's a golf that looks like it's been sat on by a hippo. Was that was that the article where I had to tell you how to spell the word competences? It might well have been, Chris. But Was you, that you another had, Audi article? No, you we had, had to, we've had a conversation about Audi for about 20 years, yeah. You had to correct me so many times when your hair was brown. And I think it, you know, it really, I can't, I can't help my spelling, but I think Audi has always been, you know, jazz hat over function. And I'll tell you why. And I've got an anecdote or a series of non-anecdotes that will explain this. Over the years, I've got to know lots of automotive engineers, ones I really respect. And they tend to come from German companies because they're the ones that lead this. I've heard Mercedes engineers lust after and talk about Porsches, I've heard them talk about BMWs. I've felt mutual respect amongst mm. those brands. Mm. I've I've had a man from BMW almost have a wet dream when the IS200 Lexus came out because he couldn't believe the money that Lexus spent on that car. I've heard nothing but derision over the years from those companies about Audi's products. I don't know what that says. I think there was a period when Audi did make some good cars. I think the B5... Uh, a4 was a clever car. It yeah. was a beautiful looking car. And I think the Quattros with the independent suspension at the rear were quite clever. And I think the C7 RS6, you know, you can't argue against it being an amazing achievement. It's just so competent. But how many cars have they made that make you lust after them? I just don't, I don't think Audi... The, dash, the dashboards are horrible. And they smell funny. Audi's they smell funny. They do smell, smell funny. funny. Yeah, yours always... They just, they're, they're, but I think, it for me... Be you know, be careful. The be careful how you sow your cynicism because Audi made a very famous advert in 1995 for the B B5 A4, the black and white sepia one that becomes colour with the stockbroker who gets in the car for the test drive. Oh yes, he's given the keys. I've written it. I watched it earlier. He gets in. He goes a London boy, city boy, and he goes money, nothing to be ashamed of, and he talks about his wealth. He gets out of the test drive and he hands the keys back and he goes, nah, it's not for me. And that was that was Audi saying, we're not BMW. And then what? shouts, taxi! Well, I think they've become that, haven't they? In many ways, yeah. that's that's what the brand has become. Yeah. And I think they're, you know, I, I, I'd love to love Audi more, but that's a bit of a rant from me. Edward, help in, me out. In, in, in sneaker world, if BMW is Nike, Audi is Puma. Oh, interesting, interesting. <laughs> and how many of us wear Puma? Not that many. Chris has got a couple. Chris has got several pairs of Puma. Walk Conversely. around London and try and find a pair of Pumas. They're not that popular. Edward, you always struck me as a bit of an Audi guy. What <laughs> makes you say that? Are you, are you still drinking? <laughs> Well, first of all, I think your rant started with their 
the Audi campaign was um, they don't rust, which answers Neil's original rant about why his beautiful Scottish friends drive them, because it's quite damp in Scotland. And obviously, if they're taking them to the Alps, to their ski lodges, um, you clearly need a car that doesn't rust. So they're obviously very practical, your beautiful Scottish friends, and they've decided to... Um, buy into the Audi marketing campaign to, so they have a car that doesn't rust. Um, That's true. I've, I've always felt for most normal Audis, saloons, ex, uh, uh, events, etc., they all always feel a bit dead at the steering wheel. They do. However, an Audi R8 V8 manual, the first V10. iteration. V10 is the one. Uh, yeah, well, the, but the the first I I I think I, we talked about it in the podcast yeah. at some point. But I, I went and drove a Audi uh, R8 V10 manual around, uh, sorry, V8 manual around Europe, and it was such a well sorted car, and you could use all the RPM. It was just yeah. such a wonderful thing. It's a, it's and a, I, a year later, I did the same trip in a V10, and you're right, you know that was it was a bit more Lamborghini. That you know the engine, the noise, it was brilliant. But th- that V8 manual is just was just such a brilliant car. So, so I've, I've, I've never thing, driven one. The thing about these a brand like Audi that I think has had you know has made a, an amazing reputation out of a lot of averageness for me is there there are greatest hits. You know a B7 RS4 a van. A, you know it's a great car when you see it on the road. I had a B8 S4 quirky thing but we tuned it up to four and something horsepower what a great car lots of great cars but but they have the ability to engineer no soul into their vehicles really i think and, and i'm unapologetic about that um have we finished the neil's subject? Ob- neil, neil's no neil, neil's obviously had a bad week with audi because a few weeks ago one of the topics that he wanted to talk about was hmm. can you own an audi tt and i don't no, think that we was ever Chris, that was like Chris. I said, could you oh, live with a TT? For, could you live with a TT for a year? Which would be the shortest question ever posed. Yeah. Uh, my, my catalyst for this is when I drove out of Bista Scramble on Sunday, late for my daughter's birthday. I followed a Quattro, and I thought, actually, it's just a fabulous-looking thing uh, on a B reg, I think. So probably not a twenty valve, just a lovely little, lovely-looking thing. And I thought. That's probably the last Audi that I've lusted after. Because actually, I've had two RS2s. I didn't really like them. Yeah. It's just not quite there. No, you I know, mean, I know Autocar says it's faster than McLaren 0 to 60, and we all bought into that, and we love the Nagaro Blue, and we love the Porsche brakes, and we love all that sort of. But actually, it was a didn't it, I didn't enjoy it at all. Do you remember that headline, we, by the way? That that was a shameful headline. It wasn't 0 to 60, it was 0 to 30. Yeah. It was quicker than a McLaren, 0 to 30. <laughs> yeah. we, we obviously uh, lost um, Ken Block far too early, but he he had they just Audi had just built that amazing electric car for him. So yeah. it would have been interesting to see what could have happened with that brand direction from both design but also you know, radical electric sports cars. Yeah. I think it's a broader subject when we come on to automotive Viagra, to use my slightly dodgy analogy. How do we get excited about electric cars? I think that's going to be a conversation for the future because it's more difficult. 
Yeah, we'll talk about that another day, That's I think. That's not how you framed this discussion. In fact, whilst one of you talks, I'm going to repeat the way you framed the Audi thing <laughs> to us on our group. Yes. It's one of the great phrases. Where was it? Here we go. We need an Audi rant. They are the dildo of the Luxury <laughs> Express. <laughs> now... I've lived that a exactly I know no what word, a Luxury yeah. Express is, but what is a dildo? I suppose it's when surely the real version of the a dildo thing. is more exciting than a dildo, isn't it? <laughs> One would hope. So it's a substitute thingy. Yeah, <laughs> not quite the real thing. Okay, not quite. I think you're quite right. Maybe it's, that's it, not, it, even if you're in an RS6. And you're driving along. If you see a, if you see something in an M5, you go, "Fuck it, he got it right." Yes, <laughs> you do. Yeah, you do. Right. Oh, okay. yeah. Before we get sued, I'm going to move on to the next thorny issue for today's thorny night of discussions. Um, high depreciation cars and the value one sees within them, and also I'll add on to that how hard it is to explain to friends and family how that value should work, because normally it's seen through the goggles of man maths. We're going to have to go straight back to Mr Clifford again here, because he might be the finest exponent of this particular brand of bullshit I've ever met in my life. Go well, this, this, this subject was given to me by my friend Paul, who is equally as mad as me about automotive conversations. And we were discussing the Bentley Continental GT. Which one? Sp um, the Supersport. The current one. Not the current one. It's not as pretty, the current one. The, the, the original one, but the Super Sport, where they updated it a bit and then the bigger engine and all of that. And, and Paul owns one of these cars. And for 50 grand, when the car was 190 grand new and it's 620 horsepower, the most incredible piece of engineering, carved out a solid block of titanium, um, beautiful carbon. In fact, the Veron seats in the car fantastic beautiful dashboard and for 50 grand which is frankly cheaper than most boring audis what incredible purchase and 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 i'd add one more thing it's it's we should all go and do this and don't buy these boring shit new cars anymore because actually it's much better for the environment let's buy bentley's as opposed to shit new <laughs> audis Keep I, all the, I, we don't need any more cars in the world. They don't rust anymore. They don't break down anymore. Let's just buy all the old ones. Can I can I assume my adenoidal voice and be the consumer editor of What Car for a minute and say, it's all very well, but how much do you think the rear fog light assembly for a Bentley Continental GT costs when it's out of warranty? Because I we one of the films that will never be sadly broadcast on Top Gear is we bought one of these things last year. And went to uh, somewhere in Af North Africa in one, and it was freaking brilliant. It was a great car. It was the best car of the three by a mile. And then mm. they presented us with some parts prices, and yes, jaws hit the floor. My um, best friend, yes, but my, yes, sorry, Manish. my best friend, my best friend bought one uh, a few years ago, and he actually moved house because of this car. <laughs> <laughs> The reason being, he didn't have off-street parking. And the number of times its fucking wheels got nicked. 
He had all four wheels stolen off that car five times. And moved he should out. have bought locking wheel nuts. Oh, God, I think they can get around that. Honestly, these vans turned up. He had cameras. He had cameras facing forward. These guys would literally lift the car up, get the wheels off, and they were gone. Fourth that time pro- that, that proves it's desirability. Just, Doesn't it? They're not going to yeah, nick yeah. wheels off an Audi because the fucking boy. Chris Cooper, you strike me as a kind of fourth-hand Bentley guy. Where do you sit on this one? So, um, I think there are other examples. Okay, please tell us. Um, yes. You could argue McLaren 12C. Totally. Is I looked this afternoon under sixty grand now for a six hundred no. something horsepower Ron Dennis. More time spent on it than God spent creating the Earth. Ron's still doing that presentation, telling us how clever it is. He's still at it now. Hundred percent. Ten, twelve could, years later. What could possibly go wrong with a thirteen-year-old <laughs> exactly. uh, It'd be fun though, wouldn't it? It would. Um, be. You could so argue. Heroin doesn't mean you can tell people to do it. So it's a bit more modern, but I still think it's a lot of car for the money. 720S. Yeah. I don't know about a third of the price they were. But yeah. personally, and you and I both know this car, Monkey, the original Panamera Turbo. Oh, tank. Absolute tank. 18 grand. Brilliant. Really? 18 I mean, grand for Panamera Turbo. Yeah. The search is over. I mean, it's just, I looked this afternoon because you know, I've, got, I've got one. Not quite that old. And I, whenever I talk to people at the dealership about it, I say, have I actually got the only one you've ever sold? <laughs> and they sort of say, oh, no, no. I, say, oh, I definitely have. And I, I'll, I can never sell it because it'll just be so heartbreaking. But I reckon for 18 grand, you could get an original. They don't look great, but you, we used to drive them to our mutual friend, Guy Spur, had one when they first came out. To That's go to true. Germany and back, what a machine. Great best, fun. It was quite good fun to drive. Best directional stability in crosswinds of any car I've ever driven. You yes, on 60 the... on a crosswind, you're not even aware of it in the no. bloody thing. No, beautifully built, lovely inside, nice dash, some of that sort of yachting type wood inside and just, you know, 18 grand of anybody. You had, the, you had the yachting spec. Yeah. Yachting wood. Um, Edward, um, now, I'm not being rude here or unkind, but... Have you ever suffered? Oh, you're about to be. No, just just pipe down. Have you ever suffered depreciation on a car? (laughs) Yes, we've talked about this, haven't we? No, no, no. no, That was was when you bought a car on behalf of a business and it shat itself. That's different. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm segueing into a compliment. You're a clever bugger who tends not to lose money on cars. So how do you go about finding cars that have depreciated? Now, so Neil's point about um, the Continental GT, which he's obviously talking about a car that's now 15 years old. What, what, what is a, what was the first year of a Continental GT? About 03, 04. Oh, fine. So almost 20, 20 years old. And he was, now talking I, about an 11, he was talking about an 11 plate, wasn't he? A later one, in fairness. Super to me, I now appreciate that's still depreciation, but when I look at depreciation, I'm thinking about how a car really plummets in price from in the quite year. a young age. Yeah, and so historic and and th- this conversation is actually not the right perfect time because 
cars just haven't been depreciating over the mm. last couple of years. Exactly in, that, exactly that. If, if anything, they've been appreciating. And whilst Neil talks about that cheap Bentley Continental GT, which, Chris, I'm with you. I'm sort of, what car, how much is that rear light cluster? You you, you had a loan car last year, I think. You had a um, Bentley GT Speed, didn't you? GTC yeah. Speed, something like that. And you, you said... This is just an amazing car. So I do what I do, which is go on to Auto Trader, have a look at Bentley Continental GTs, less than a year old, price high to low. And you couldn't find one at under 200 grand. Now, I appreciate that they were probably 250 grand new, but my understanding of Bentley Continental GT, if you have a brand new car at 250 grand, about three days later, it should be about 129,950. <laughs> <laughs> and like a 612 would be a good example of that when you know when they yeah. were new you know a 612 was the most expensive ferrari you know if you put all the toys on it it was 100 and i think you could a one-to-one -one was like 179 grand but about three minutes after you took delivery you know if you turn back say it's not really for me the dealer principal would have said mm, it's not really for us either <laughs> and, but you you would you would have, you would have wanted to pay a hundred and 10, 120,000 pounds, and it would have been really hard to find a second owner. I gave these... you 75 grand for one that was five years old and shat itself. So what happened? What, yeah. what happened there? But but these can't, they just haven't been depreciating, which is it's gonna be a big fucking shock to the system over the next 24 <laughs> months because I, it's coming. Um, and depreciating. Just thinking say about that again. Bentley. Ele electric cars are depreciating. A, 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 yeah. a, a Taycan, you know, I'm, I'm in Australia at the moment, and apparently Taycan's pretty fucking tough down here. You know, the, the infrastructure's not great, and, yeah. you know, they're st super expensive, and they're piling up in the dealer forecourts. Um, sorry, Porsche, if uh, I wasn't meant to say that. Um, but well, that they is are now. I, I was in a... I was... I had one um, on two years. The company ran it. It was a lease... Thing we did for two years and I thought about buying it at the end of it and the least BW finance just wanted too much money um, and it wasn't disconnected from the Porsche app on here so I could see that for the next nine months it was sat at the same position on the end of the runway at Bruntingthorpe oh. for about nine or ten months and then it went to uh, a non-franchise dealer in somewhere in North London, who prided himself on being North London's favourite family-owned dealer. And then the next time I saw it, it's been hilarious because it's got a map as well. I then saw it parked adjacent to a container in a freight terminal in North London. And then two days later, it turned up in Cyprus. Oh. Where it spent the rest of the summer while still on sale in the dealer's <laughs> website. And then he must have... So I got so hilarious. There's a little butler here we can toot the horn and flash the lights. So every now <laughs> often, I would just press the toot the board button and flash the lights, thinking, this guy is going to, you must be shitting us. What's wrong with my car? Eventually, I've been cut off. I must have realised, oh, shit, somebody's watching all that I'm doing. The Bentley, though, there was one on collecting cars. There was a W12 GTC earlier on this year, and it went for the 2015 car, W12, oh. beautiful spec, and I think I'm just trying to find it. I think it went for about fifty-two, fifty-three thousand. Yeah, that's they're it. lovely cars. 
Lovely car. Lot of motor for the money. Lot of motor for the money. Lot of motor for the money. Isn't it? Can can I just... I don't normally give any advice on cars to buy. And I'm certainly not an investment uh, guru when it comes to what to buy and what not to buy. But a car that has suffered with some depreciation over the last six months, which I, I think is in the buy window now. So a 992 Turbo S when they were launched were about 150 something thousand quid. And during COVID, they kept putting the prices up. So a a 992 Turbo S now coupe with a couple of options on it is a 200,000 pound car. And there there was a 12 month or 24 month waiting list. You couldn't get one. So all the dealers were asking 225 grand for those cars. And, you know, you could run them for free effectively. Oh, that's what everyone thought was they ordered one because they saw all these cars at 225 grand. There are a few cars still for sale for 225 grand because I think the dealers might have paid a bit too much for them and hoping some bloke's going to walk in off the street and just buy one because he fancies one. But you can get a sub one year old 992 Turbo S now for about 150,000 quid, which I I appreciate that's a lot of money. However, you know, this is a car that now costs 200 grand new. Yeah. And a well-specced Carrera 4 GTS or something along those lines it's the same. With, with all the options um, is like 145 or 150 grand. So if you're in the market for a 992, don't worry about the facelift coming out or hybrid or whatever you're going to go and do. Go and buy yourself a 2022 Turbo S. Plonk yourself in that for the next two years. And I think you'll struggle to find another car on the road that will beat it. And, and I think it'll probably look after you quite well from a depreciation point of view. Wise words. Time. You exactly. Real world car buying advice yeah. on the Collecting Addicts yeah. podcast. Yeah. We will help you make your sub £200,000 car buying decisions more easily. Manish, <laughs> any thoughts on this? Whilst yeah, I now- Literally, there's one car I very, very, very much lust after every time I walk past it. Parked around the corner and um, I actually met the owner six months ago and asked him about it. And it's a beautiful black Maserati Quattroporte. And That's it's a, a good one. 2017. It's the V8 GTS. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, automatic gearbox. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that I would buy it, but it does have an automatic gearbox. But it's, um, he bought it for £45,000. Yeah. And I think new, it was sort of 130 or something, you know, 125 bucks. And it is just the limousine. It's the most beautiful thing. It sounds fantastic. I mean, it sounds really, really sexy when he starts it up. I don't think he uses it very much, but um, I imagine that is an absolute doozy, isn't it? In terms of, um, you know, car that you'd buy second time around. And I think the, la- the ones that were built, I mean, I asked him, do you have problems with it? And he hasn't. The ones that were built sort of around 2018, 2019, 2020 were actually quite well built. The late, uh, those late Maseratis with the ZF yeah. gearboxes, the GTSs. Uh, the, exactly, the he's got a V8 GTS, exactly. Were, were brilliant cars. And back in my dealer days, when I was walking through the workshop, um, there were these poor sods coming in with Maserati 3200s, which were worth about... Um, Twelve to fifteen thousand pounds at this stage with the boomerang headlights, yeah. and they didn't really want to come and pick them up after their service because they weren't <laughs> overly prepared to pay the fourteen thousand pound servicing bill to come no. and pick up their twelve thousand pound thirty two hundred. Did you, did that, you that, ever try? That is, 
that honest story that did you ever try one of those with the cambia corso yeah yeah that was an art to drive one nicely did you drive was to leave it at home did you drive did you drive the spider if you drove the spider it was like can you imagine bathing a cat and it's covered in soap and you're trying to catch it that's what the steering column was like you'd fucking chase the thing around the cabin it was like what the you know, I, I, you know how I like six series convertibles. I saw that when that Maserati Spider came out, uh, I thought, you know, I might actually move on from a six series convertible to try that. I went to try it and I thought, it's one of the most disappointing test drive experiences. We're going to do test drive experiences okay. at some point. The, that the, was the, one the of the disappointing. The UK press car Spider was a jello fly. Remember, it had a shorter wheelbase. Yes. Two sort of things, uh, sort of roll, fake rollover things above it. Yeah. And you know that cut, if you're, in, if you're leaving Fulham trying to get to the A4, you can do a cut through that ends up around the back of Queen's Club that goes past the, the, the housing estate. Yes, there. West Kent. Uh, Ken, yeah. West Kent and it broke, it broke down there. And it was probably 2000 or 2001, whenever they made Did it. Did you a favour near a tube station? Well, I um, I got out and some local youths, uh, they they took quite a lot of attention to the car, so I just left it with them, with the keys. <laughs> Best thing. Off them right. not, I, you know, I'm going to get stabbed. It's not over that short, wheel, short wheelbase shitbox. Um, oh. so this, um, this, this whole depreciation thing has got me thinking that recently I've been looking for another vehicle because I, I need to do some miles in. And, I, and actually, what, what near the surface here is that quite often I'm more seduced by the knowledge that I might be able to get something that's cheaper than it should be than actually wanting the car. So the question is, how many cars have we bought that we didn't actually want because we thought they were just too fucking cheap to ignore? Answer, yeah. like, answer for me, many. But I, I now realise, as Edward's pointed out, and all of you have agreed, depreciation isn't happening the way it used to. And I think it's a great shame because we used to get off on it. So for me, the two cars that always depreciated were any Ferrari with a V12 in the front and a BMW M5. Both cars, the moment you drove them out of the showroom, halved in value. Now, that meant that you knew the people that owned them were reassuringly wealthy and still owned them because they could afford them and they didn't mind the depreciation. And it meant there were rich prickings for little scavengers like us out there because really we're just parasitic. We want to piggyback other people's misfortune and buy these cars. But recently I've been looking around. There's so little value out there. I wanted mm. to buy one of those. I will hopefully get one of those Alpha Julia Cloverleafs. But... You try, you know, there's cars that have done 50,000 miles and people want 38 grand for them. That yeah. should be 21,995 and they should be begging me to buy it, but they're not. Um, actually, if you start looking around to look for the value, there's a, you know, some of those Aston V8 Vantage, the early guppy mouth ones, they're coming down into a zone where they look like a lot of value to me. DBSs, the, the current DBS is coming down a bit. That's a great a car. Bit. But so, so that I should be, we should be, we should be laughing at those for sixty nine 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 five now, and we're just not. So I reckon we need to get a T-shirt going with collecting ads that says "Bring back depreciation," because really, <laughs> yes. depreciation bring back financial ruin. And, and to come back to Neil's analogy, depreciation is the KY jelly of the car enthusiast universe. It lubricates our passion. It lubricates so, our passion. Damn it! Don't buy cars because they're all lug. By the old, and the great irony is of all the cars that I reckon are good value at the moment. Neil Neil mentioned it. It's electric cars. So the one that strikes me at the moment as being huge value is the Audi e-tron GT. That's the rebodied Taycan. They clearly cross up. They can't sell them, but they look magnificent. They go like a fucking stab rat, 
and they're just, and they're a great car. You know, if you've got a driveway and seven other cars to use when they don't work, what a machine! Fabulous machine. And of course, the, 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 electric, car, the, the, the electric car needs a uh, needs a session again from uh, on the pod. But today is not, not not the one. But to, to, to finish that another rant the best value car of all is a bentley mulzahn because we manage value against what something costs to make and the bentley mulzahn takes about seven and a half years just to make the ventilation system people have died on the line they take so long to build and you can buy one of those for 70 grand now and you should because it's a wonderful motor car and it won't make you look like you've lost your soul or anything it's a wonderful car buy bentley's save the planet buy bentley's save the planet right we're moving <laughs> on to here we go ah now Car typography, okay? So, and I mean this quite specifically. This isn't just, you know, enamel badges. I'm talking about the way car names and badges have been written over time. And I think it's one area where our industry can hold its head high. I think over time, typographically, we match any other industry, fizzy drinks, trainers, anything else that's supposed to be funky and thinks it knows how to do this stuff. Car badges, absolutely rock. I'm starting this one because I've been, I'm on this rally. I've turned up and the first car I've seen is a wide body Mark II Escort, Atlas axle dripping underneath it like a massive scrotum. And on the back, it's got RS 1800 with the zeros into My favourite fast forward. Beautiful. That is, that is the most amazing piece of sign writing I've ever seen. It's just stunning. So I'm going to give my fellow podders an opportunity to eulogise about their favourite car writing badgesy thingsies. Manager. Lamborghini, Lamborghini Countach at the back. So you have Lamborghini with this beautiful signature. And I looked it up. It's called La Machina, the uh, font. But it's the Countach. It's just simply an italic Helvetica. But the U and the N are joined by the vertical stalk. And every time I see that, something awful happens down below. But it's wonderful too. It's so sexy. So sexy. Yes. Lamborghini Countach. Uh, Neil Clifford will have thought about this for probably upwards of a week. And it's something he thinks about before he goes to sleep every night. So how are you going to choose one? <clears throat> no, I've got two. <laughs> well, one's, one's, one's a word and one's a letter. Well, one and a half. Um, when, I, when I was a very, very small boy living in Portsmouth, there was a lovely, wealthy... Um, Pair of female twins. Is it a pair of twins or just twins? Maybe a pair of twins. Twins, is I know. Being a twin, yeah, twins. Lovely. Actually, I thought they were old, but I was like eight years old. Maybe they were in their 30s at the time. Anyway. Or 12. A 1965 Morris Van der Plan. And that Van der Plan font, that beautiful script, yes. that metallic, almost written in a fountain pen, in chrome on the back of the car, tiny little car. They're two of those giant Saluki dogs. Remember Salukis? Yeah. Elegant sort of, you know, you're some sort of prince of Saudi Arabia if you've got a Saluki. They're two of these bloody things. You used to jam them in the back because those little Morris, I think it was a Morris Thunderbird princess, but it was quite a small thing, 1100 engine, D-Reg in like oh, a duck. It was the 1100 that... Yeah. Gijaro or Bertone styled 1100, so yeah, Vandenpla. Yeah. But it's four-door, which actually you wouldn't think it was four-door because it's a tiny little car. Yeah, anyway, tiny. So for me, it was the Vandenpla logo that I remember. I didn't even know, I frankly don't know what it is now, but I didn't know what Vandenpla was. It just felt so exotic 
and curious. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say, and I bought a car just because of this one letter, the Z of Zagato, right? <laughs> Beautiful. Absolutely. Makes the sign of the Z. Do you remember that on Saturday morning TV? Yeah. And, um, so the Z, I bought an Alpha SZ just really because of that little Z on the side. Actually, it's a better car. If I compare it to the Integrale, I'd take the Alpha every day because of the sound of the bloody engine. But really, it's all about that little Z on the front wing. Um, I can't disagree with either of those. Uh, uh, Edward Lovett, have you thought about this or have we surprised you with it? I have thought about it very briefly um, cool. at about 4.30 this morning. Yeah. Um, now, first of all, I've got there's, it's given me an idea for all of those who are watching or listening, take your iPhone or whatever device you use and go and take a photo of your favorite typography and put it on Instagram and tag collecting cars and collecting addicts and with a hashtag. And we'll choose our best one and we'll we'll share a, a reel of your choices during, yeah. uh, during the next uh, week. Does that, so make, does that make us influencers? It was sort of yes, yes. I think this Hashtag is very. Influence. I think this is good. Yeah. No, um, good idea. So I've, I've I like got, this idea. I've got two. I got two from different eras. Well, actually, one of them's still there, being used today. But the older one is the super legera sign on, or the badge on the edge of a, an Aston Martin bonnet, um, which you can see from a distance. It's very small. Most people don't go and read it, but you kind of know what it means. And it's just very cool. Um, you know, the British styling on, or the, sorry, the Italian styling on a, uh, on a British car. Um, and then the other one... Isn't it also a lie, though, because a DB5 isn't lightweight at all. It's bloody it's heavy. Super light. Well, yeah, it's it is, sort yeah. of lighter, thinner steel, gauge steel in the bodywork. That's what it meant, basically, wasn't it? Like me walking around with a T-shirt saying, I'm funny. It's just not supportable. That's true. Yeah, that's that's more egregious, though. That is. By the way, Chris, I don't use that word like that. That's called self-deprecation. I'll teach you that one day. Okay, but carry on. And then the other one, which we should try and do a T-shirt of this as well. Rally art. Oh, and nice. I've yeah. still got mine. I've still got my, my rally art jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool logo. It hey is. Guys, can you remember the um, really Andrew Cowan? Disegno Bertone, the B in the Bertone, yes. that beautiful yes. chevron. Yes. God, that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. I got my first Pro Drive jacket. I had to go and drive a Pro Drive, I think called a Pro Drive P1. Do you remember that? The mm. P one, the, the sort of two door one, and I thought I, I reckon I'll blag this, so I, I went in. I wore my rally art jacket to Banbury, and they immediately went get that off and gave me a Pro Drive jacket, so I wore that instead. That's the way to get swag, boys. Wear the That's rival the brand, merch. And, they will, and they will absolutely rebrand you on the spot. When That's you... a, that, in all fairness, uh, I, I know it's not a car, but the Pro Drive logo is a cool logo. It is cool a cool logo. Mm. Uh, Chris Cooper, what, how do you feel about this? And, uh, and I know you, one of your badges will be the 640D. What's the other one? Not a D. When did swag become merch? Uh, about five years Discuss. ago. Discuss. was about, about five years ago, anyway. Yeah. Um, actually, there are some current examples which I, I, I think aren't like what we've discussed. I think current BMW boot lid rear hatch to put is too big. Yeah. It's too big. Too big and gaudy. An X7, X40D, X drive. Yes. Like, yes. No, 
Yeah. Also, can I, can I add one thing to that, Chris? That is that I do believe that when they make them smaller, like they do on the One Series, they're a bit fat. Some of the letters yes. are a bit fat. They're a bit... They're I mean, fat. things that are short yeah. and fat are offensive looking. They are, yeah. But I've always thought that. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anyway, the ones that I think really work, because they kind of stick with you, there's a little badge that just says, and we could, I'll explain this in a second why I think it's okay to celebrate this. There's a little badge that appears at the bottom of the A pillar of arguably quite a groundbreaking car that just, it just, every time you see it, you just think that makes me feel warm and fuzzy and aspiration and so forth. It's the, on a Range Rover Classic, just below the bottom of the A pillar on the panel on the side of the car, where the panel gaps are about, six weeks wide um there's a little badge that says range rover little sort of stainless steel yeah. sort of thing just yeah. says range rover when the r's are slightly bigger than the capitals and leather it's just i remember seeing that first thinking gosh what would it be like to have one of those or even ride in one of those so that you know it's got nothing to do with our favorite car designer hmm. who will come back to us at some point later but that Range Rover sign that just looks—I think they've probably meddled with it now. But the original Range Rover Classic looks really good. Um, current ones, which I think work really, really well. You know, you were asked to specify one. You're not allowed I one every decade that the car's been in existence. You know that, don't you? So that because your your question said car badges at the Mo, which I thought was meant to be contemporaneous. Alpina, I think Alpina typography it's nice. is nice. Really, really cool. You see Alpina on the back of a car, or on the, on the sort of the on the, the letters of the the mm. bottom of the splitter on the front spoiler, not picked out in silver, body yeah. color only. Anybody who's currently specking a car, car configurators, we've got to talk about at some point. I've got a bit of a bone to pick on car configurators, but an Alpina on the bottom of the splitter in yeah. body color, that's cool. I like that. That just what says what? everything about the car. Chris, remind me, was your mother, was she an Alpina decal lady or was she a non-decal lady? No, she was non-decal, much to my annoyance. But I bought one with, with decals on it and I took it home and, and she went, she went yeah. take it back and get rid of those stickers. Yeah, I'd have done yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so I couldn't really argue with her. And I have to say that I agree with, and Chris Cooper will be hosting a special edition of this podcast on his own for Insomniacs worldwide on his issues with configurators. Um, as a sort of public service. Uh, now, moving on. Um, cars, 
that you used to think looked good, but now don't. This was triggered by what actually was a shocking revelation of Chris Cooper on our group earlier this week, where he sent a photograph of one of what I would consider to be one of the great cars, and I'm sure you would as well, the E39 BMW estate, the Touring. Yeah. And he said, this car doesn't look very good anymore. The glass house is too big at the back. It's a bit bulbous. He used yeah. some really quite terrifying terminology. And anyhow, I hate to say it, I took it, I looked at the picture and thought, I think he might be right. Neil Clifford, tell us about things that you used to think looked good, why you think they don't look good now, and why you can still back your sense of the aesthetic. I spent an hour thinking about this this morning and couldn't really think of one. Because the as cars get older, I tend to like them more. And I've got such dislike of modern cars, particularly the dildo variety, that I think cars are like wine. I think they improve over time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this, I flipped this in my head and said, cars that I didn't like a long time ago. And now I like because I've become I, a free swim. There's no control. I've lost control of you all. That's what I usually do. I couldn't think of it one way. So I turned the telescope around and looked from the other end. <laughs> and when I, and, and we were talking about this abyss, me and my mates actually. And uh, with my young photographer, Instagram y clever friends that all drive around in better cars than me now. And as most of you know, because I've said it before, we, me and my mates have been going to Le Mans from, since 88. And we were, we were young and we had hair and we wanted to drive the fastest, newest thing. And then we saw all these old farts driving along in Bentley blowers. And we're like, what a bunch of wankers they are. You, why would you want to drive along in that stupid old slow piece of crap? You know, it's much better having a M3 Sport Evolution or a 993 Turbo, which I had for five minutes on a, you know, Porsche bubble. And now when I see those cars, I'm like, oh, they're fantastic. And it's because I'm now one of those old farts. So maybe the young people look at me and say, what is he driving along in that lovely I won't, I won't have that, Neil. Of course they don't. Citizen Bentley, you know, what the hell does that do for you? It's slow, it's crap, it's windy, it's cold, it's unreliable. It's none of those things, actually. Everyone should go and buy a Peterson Bentley. But I, I think I've turned it on its head. I used to dislike those old cars, and now I adore them, and I don't like the new cars. That's absolutely fair enough. What you've done there is with incredible agility taken the question, turned it 180 and answered it beautifully. Chris Cooper, I can tell you, you're itching here. You've got a list. You're allowed seven and no more than that. Here we go. I haven't got seven, but I think, because I, I I agree with Neil, I think there are lots of cars that you'd have thought, oh, God, no, which now look great. But I do think there are, and I, I, it could be something to do, because the other, the other, I hate to say this, and this, came, this struck me, because right now, as of Wednesday evening, 11th of October, I think on collecting cars, there is an M635 for sale. Ooh. The M6, oh, as we God, called it. Yeah. It was never an M6. It's an M635. CSI. I know, yeah, but everyone called it M6, didn't they? Well, they were, they were wrong. And they I were, knew they were. They'll be punished. It had the same engine and, as the M5 and blah, blah, blah. 
it just doesn't quite work now. And it's because the glass house is just, it just looks slightly too big to me. And I have a feeling that there's a reason why the M5 does so much. There must be a reason why the M5, the E28 M5, does so much better than the E24 M635. Mm. The M635 was a motorsport car, same as the M5 was. But just, not, just, just, just hang on, I'm still going. No, no, no. Just going. To, let me summarise. I'm, I'm, I'm using my abilities here to summarise for the audience before you move on to your next, frankly, fucking absurd point. So you're telling me that the M635 CSI, that sharp-nosed piece of Hofmeister kinky brilliance, yeah. doesn't look quite right, but you happily drove around in a Bangle-era 6-series convertible. Yes, I right. did. Next would point. I, would oh, I now? Oh. Would I now? I'm, I'm offering you the floor. Over to you, Chris. So there's something about, there was something about that Nortis. Well, what do you think? When I said E39 Touring, the first time I'd ever I'd ever thought about it when I saw it on Sunday, there was it was a lovely car. It was somebody had I had a brief chat with him. Somebody brought along an E39 M5 Touring. They clearly made it, hmm. but it had all the right bits and they'd done, you know, very, very expensive, labor of love, wonderful thing. And I thought, God, it's an M E39 M5, tick. It's a Touring, tick. I looked and I thought, I don't quite, quite like it as much as I thought I was going to like it. And I thought it's that rear bit of the glass house is just too big. The sort of the, the proportions of the size of the glass house to the side of the car just have aged just in slightly the wrong way. It's really irritating and frustrating. It just made me think, because I would have lusted after. I had a five, an E39 540. We can talk about cars that have got under our skin in a later episode. I had an E39 540 SE, mm. 80,000 miles in. I look at that now, I still think 17-inch multi-spoke wheels just look fantastic. And I thought even better would be a touring. I've been looking for them. Think, do you know what it doesn't work? E34 touring does work. Does I can't work. Believe it. I, think, I, th I think they look a bit odd. I, I tell you what, I know nothing about design, but I've got some observations here on this. I agree. There are some cars that used to look great that, that have aged with less dignity. In an than odd way. And this is where the 911 comes in. All right, it's all, the answer to all these questions is always the 911. The two things that from day to car for me at the moment in the current era is that is, is actually size of glass house to overall volume of metalwork. More fundamentally and generally speaking, most modern cars have less glass to metalwork than they used to. So when you see more glass, your your eyes go, that's aged. And the other things that have changed in terms of volume they take up on the space of a car are rear light clusters and front lights. So when you see a car with big headlights and a lot of stuff going on at the front, quite often that means age. And it's, and the rear is even more so, because now we have thin LED strips. And if you see big lights, I give you the V, the, the lovely V8 Vantage that was launched, you know, middle of 2000. It's a great looking car. But when you see one from behind, it's the size of the rear light clusters that, that yeah. age you. Well, that's a lot of lights. And this is why the 911 is a bit of genius, because it's always had a thin strip of rear lights. So from generation to generation, it doesn't look that much older. A G-Series has got something about that high at the back. So it's a 964, so it's a 993. It doesn't look much older. And the front headlight tends to be about yay big. doesn't get much smaller. 911s tend not to age because I think those signature pieces of their identity haven't really altered in volume. So I do think you do come across cars that when they've got a bit more, like you look at the back of an E46 M3, 
just looks old compared to a, a current BMW because of the size of the rear light cluster. Yes. I've, interrupt, I've interrupted Chris Cooper. Carry on, sorry. No, I, I, I mean, I, I, you think you're spot on. I think there are the glass housing is the thing that gets me, and it's a, it's not all of them do it, but that's sort of that's one of the sort of the giveaways that made some of them. The 911 is a good one because 997 Gen 1 997. So there's something about the proportions of the rear deck. You know, I love convertible. 997 cabs now just look horrific. Really Second horrific. gen ones look a bit better. Second gen ones look a bit better. But the first gen, Slightly the better. First gen is a 911 that's got a big rear light cluster and it looks old now because of yeah. those rear lights. I mean, the one, the 996 never looked, 996 Gen 1 never looked right. Oh, I think. Now, well, I've had too many good drives in those not to love them. But yeah, nine and seven. Some of those nine and seven Gen ones they haven't aged well. And Manish, them, what are your thoughts on on cars that you thought looked good, but now don't? So there's one car I really, really remember lusting after it when it came out, and um, I, it's the Ferrari five seven five. Just mm. think it's just lost. Looks. If you look at it, the back windows look a bit too triangular. The eyes look sort of too big. It's got that great big dam on the um, bonnet, which just, and the back doesn't look, oh, it's not a good looking car. Big overhang at the front, reasonably big overhang at the back. It just looks old, doesn't look good. Has not, I mean, it's not, it has not aged as well as my 456M to be. You think it's aged it's worse than the 550? Yeah. I think so. It's just got, it, there's just something about it. It's a bit, bit, you know, the the haunches are a bit big. It just, it's a bit meaner looking. And yeah, I think the five fifty looks more more elegant than the five seven five. And also, the five seven five and the six twelve were contemporaries at the time. We all thought the five seven five looked great. I think the six twelve yeah. is a much better looking car now than Patient. the five seven five. I don't know. Yeah, and nine, even more so. Say that again. Five nine nine, even more so. Yeah, I always thought in in the period when five nine nine came out, I thought five fifty was better looking, but actually, in hindsight, five nine nine beats it. I think. Yeah, in for looks, it's better looking. You think the five nine nine? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I actually think the five nine nine. You see the odd one on the road, and you know when they they come with that two tone, the dark, uh, the sort of black roof glassware section versus kind of either a, a red or a silver lower part. They, I think they look great. I think they look um, great. Oh, fine, Edward, I know. Edward love it. I, I'm with I'm with Neil, and I think it's very hard to really dislike any car. You, I can find ways of enjoying most of them. The the, the one design direction that I thought they were recovering, but I think. They might have lost it again. Is the BMW 7 Series sort of where, and, and it started in the Bangle era. So that, you know, the last handsome 7 Series was the Golden Eye James Bond 7 Series shape, which I thought. E38. Yeah, that, 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 that was a cool car. And then I, I at the time, I really, I, I quite liked the edgy bangle approach of the 7 Series. They clearly wanted to be different. They bought in iDrive, but some of the sort of the interior design, it was it was all quite edgy. And I, I started to warm to it. 
But I look at those today and that really is a dog's dinner. That, I like that them is again. A seven, seven four, five. You like it, do you? Yeah, Say I've that again. Seven, four, five. Seven, Did four, you have five. one of those parked next to your six, four, five? That would be heaven for me. <laughs> I, bet it, I bet it would. <laughs> How many beers have you had? <laughs> Are they home brewed, that home brewed scrumpy cider you're actually on today? Actually, we need to talk about beer. We're going to start brewing beer. <laughs> the seven oh, but, sorry, I'm sorry just, just that, yeah. just that, that seven series rant. They, they did, it did improve a little bit in the last generation, and then seeing these i sevens drive around London now, there's that, lot. you know, that, that is an yeah. eyeful, and I'm just not sure if it's doing. The right anything thing for me, any, yeah. Have you seen? And, the, have you seen the telly in the back seat? Have you seen the, the full? Well, yeah, that telly that drops down from the ceiling. Oh, that looks wow. That looks cool. But I think, do you think with the seven series, they've just decided that the S class has just got it right from a sort of beauty and proportion point of view? That there's no point even trying to compete on an elegant super well, saloon. And, well, and all so they, they need wrong. this highly radical thing. All they think they've got it wrong, and they're right. There was an I-7. I, had, I stopped at Cullumpton Services on the M5 last Saturday. And for nostalgic reasons, I drove around, because I, I used to charge my electric car, going up and down the M5 to see the boys in university. So for nostalgic reasons, I went around to the Ionity charging station just to see whether it was working, because it never used to work. And there was one of those new electric I-7s in there. It was just vast. I mean, mm. just it is really vast. Cute, and yeah. the front looked like, it looked like Limousine by Jerry Anderson. It looked like Limousine in Thunderbirds rebooted, which I quite liked in some way. But I thought, God, you've got to be really confident to drive around in that because people are just going to point and think, who, you, why? Chris Cooper, or, you, or you, live in Beijing. you should do it. You've got it in you to drive an I-7 with the fucking teeth. <laughs> yeah, and I've driven 645 convertible for about They're six years. So. They're everywhere, those things. Right, I'm going to stop this, are, this BMW shitbox conversation. I'll ask Neil Clifford a very specific question about cars that age and don't age. This is the age-old question. 993 or 964, what's the best looking? And at what point have, did you change your mind and fix your opinion? Because I vacillate on this hugely, but I've reached that final very good question. And this is hmm. about age, because there's a point in which all of us preferred one to the other, and I'm not sure that's the case now. Where are you now? I was always 993, and then I flipped back to 964. Who disagrees with that? No one. I think it's somewhat subjective, but I think we've got to base this on the standard 911 rather than going off yeah, into yeah, some... Yeah. Just a Carrera 2, just a Carrera 2. Okay, so Carrera 2, it probably does. There was a picture in a lot of the websites when um, it was at Bista. Neil, you and I were there on Sunday. Swindon uh, Engines had announced, and they literally had on a stand, the cylinder head, their new Super Duper Revs, the 12,000 Revs cylinder yeah. head for air-cooled 911 engines, 964 and 993, literally on the table with some poor bloke waiting for someone to ask a question, what's that? And in their marketing thing, they had a little, little picture, and it was a 993C2S taken from just, just off rear, rear three quarters with the front wheels turned outwards a bit. So you got a little bit more view of track at the front. I thought, that looks bloody good. If it had been a, nine, been a, a C2 
on seven because it's 18 inch wheels c2 on 17 inch wheels you just said no you made a mistake you should have had a 964. that's so a fine Nine six four is just so perfect, though, isn't it? It's it just works in the standard so form. But 15, 15 years ago, I would have just, I would have eulogised about the nine nine three. I'd have said the nine four looks too old. It looks like an old car. But I just, you change, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's like saying, "What do you want, a Twix or a Crunchy?" Do you know what I mean? They're both great. <laughs> right, moving on. Uh, to our two-car garage, which I'm now Ooh. going to read out from my television, uh, whatever telephone device. This so this was, was supplied, Chris, by one of our viewers and listeners. This was supplied by one. Of, I tell you what, Chris Cooper's bloody on it tonight. There's a reason why he's successful. Connery is his name. <laughs> Connery. 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 Yeah. I have to I say, like they've been bloody good. I mean, the comments on YouTube, and there's some brilliant ones. We've got. We're going to have we... to do this for a long time to get through all of those. We'll do Mostly Chris, about you Chris, being pissed, Chris. Chris will Chris will finish his um Insomniac's episode about his uh issues with uh car configurators by doing 21 of his own two-car garages through the night next week. <laughs> I dare you to say you're not frustrated by the modern day manifestation of car hour, configurators. Two car garage. I'm not, I'm not I'm not in the market for a new car, so here we go. Right. This just this was forwarded to me by me, and it begins. This is great. Don't know why I wrote that. Probably because it is two car garage. You've been hired as the creative director for the new James Bond film. That that's fictional, by the way. None of us has been, but you're just imagining that. Speak yourself. You have, yeah. you have to choose two new cars for 007 from any brand of your choosing. To yeah, repetition of the word choose. One has to be a newer car to advertise a new product, and the other is to be something vintage pre-80s. You've been allocated a budget of £400,000 for both cars. I'll now hand this over to the floor, not in any way covering for the fact that I totally fucking forgot to answer the question myself. Manish, cover for me. Oh, um, my actual official job title is creative director of Jeeva Maya Films, so... Um, Don't mess this up, then. No, no, I, I enjoyed this because it's a... Mr. Cooper and I had a little quick chat about this before. Is it supposed to be the same brand? Because I assumed it is supposed to be the same badge. And you're supposed to find a modern version of this badge, an old version of this badge. But Mr. Cooper's interpretation was that, nope, pick an iconic Bond car from now and pick an iconic Bond car from them. So an adjudication, please. It's up to you. You're creative director. You, no, you do what you want. This is the last time. By the way, Manish, you're going to have any time to prepare because next week we are going back to the original idea of. I'm going, to, I'm going to pass this over to the father figure amongst us, Neil Clifford. You decide what Manish can do now. Um, the same mark. I think so. Thank you, Mr. Oh, Clifford. So, I thought, I, I thought a couple of things. It has to be the same mark, and that means they still. It has to be a, an English car that was made then. That, you know, the mark still exists. And I'd say I'm a little bit in love with a Lotus Amira. Mm. And I thought Bond would look quite cool in a Lotus Amira. And I got onto the configurator. <laughs> we should do a session on configurators. So I really a good idea. Myself. Huh? I think we should do it. I really think we should do it. So they've got a very beautiful blue, meridian blue. Which I thought was just a very cool bond. I could see that 
you know, he drives through Monaco, does the whole south of France thing, has a big chase, comes out of it. Oh, hold on, let me just get so, so so Bond's in Monaco and he's just up against he's gone to the casino and he's talking to an absolute rocket blonde and he goes, Yeah, it's got a Toyota engine in it. It's four hundred horsepower. It's a beautiful okay, car. And it oh, it's, it's good. It's, it's so gorgeous, this car. So he's gonna get a load of Samira. And yeah. um, I'm sure Q will put some very clever little gadgets in it. Perhaps the like a proper perhaps engine. A dildo. I, you know, he's going to just press a button and something will happen. Um, and then and this was eighty-five thousand pounds. I mean, there is so much money left over for a decent sort of um, second car. I discovered somebody called Matt Oxley today. And oh, Matt, he's, he's a great journalist. Bike, oh my god! But he, and he just literally, there's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Lotus Esprit S1 restoration, yeah, which is in Colorado orange. And I'm gonna, I don't normally hold pictures up, but I thought this was stunning. It's just, it, it is just. Look at this! Look at this! He's had months to prepare for this. Dear. Oh my dear God! That is quite nice. Wait, no, get this. The, the interior of this car is is green and tan. Yeah, the the tartan, yeah. Can you show me that photo again? Oh god, this is okay. so gorgeous. Look, 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 look. Hold on. Neil, did you didn't you have did you have one of those with the green and um the tartan no. inside? No. No, you no. I, 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 I think Neil um, Hairpin had one and then it ended up with Matthew, I think. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christopher. All right, calm okay. down. Okay. And a Lotus Esprit. And, and, and look, just look at this interior. Look at this interior. This is so gorgeous. I, I, I didn't know people did this. That is just... Yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's original. And... It went, it was auctioned for £67,000. And I think someone took a feather duster to every component in the engine phase. Well, it's just, it was gleaming. It's beautiful. I can see Bond in both right. of them. I, I, think it's a, I think that's really good. It's British. Also, but there's a Lotus connection. I'm moving us on. Manish, that's going to be hard to beat. Neil Clifford, where are you? Look, you guys are all dicking around. The only car that Bond can drive is an Aston Martin. Okay. It's the only, you know, it's the point of Aston Martin's existence. And if you're, a, if you're, a, if you go and buy an Aston Martin, the only thing that's on your mind is, am I going to look like James Bond? So you, you, uh, in my view, you have a DB12. I think it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant looking car. It's three hundred. They've done a, they've done a good job with that. Yeah. Fantastic job. The interior now is as good as the outside. Most Astons are quite pretty, frankly, but some of them are sort of shit when you drive them. But the DB12 looks fantastic. All the reviews say it drives fantastic. They've invented this new class almost of whatever it is, the GT supercar. The interior is bloody gorgeous. The Much leather, better than recent. Well, there's another thing Audi should learn from. Maybe do some nice colours. Oh. As opposed to just black and grey. Lots of people could learn from that. And lots of yeah. people. That's a subject that Porsche. Neil, do you know? Do you know who would completely agree with you on that? Cars. Luca Montezemolo says that is the most beautiful 
Aston Martin in modern time. He says that is a work of absolute art. So I've spent three the man. And I've bought a DB12. So I've got 70 grand left. And you know what? I'm 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 referring to my brother. My brother owns a garage in Portsmouth, Trevor. Bless my mother. She gave us all very 70s names, even though he was probably born in the 50s because he's like 70 years old. Um, he's been restoring a virage. Oh, a virage. Which oh, a, ni- a 90s virage, not the one that they... Yeah, yeah, the Ken Greenlee one. Early virage. I think it's on a 1991. Yeah. And it's in valiant blue. So most gorgeous blue. A very rare colour, because most of them were sort of British racing green and there were, you know, a few red ones, weren't they? But most of them British racing green or navy blue. It's a very light, beautiful um, light blue called Valiant Blue with red leather, light blue with red leather. And it's actually, he's done everything. He's done the bodywork, he's done the engine, he's done the suspension. It's perfect. It's totally mint condition, this thing. And I would match my DB12 to my brother Trevor's Virage, and I'd have like 20 grand left for servicing. So, Be more Trevor. That's what we need to know. That's a fantastic car. And I want to you, ask- you can buy it in 118th scale in Valiant Blue with red leather interior. Yeah. You may have to buy the model. Yeah. It's a gorgeous. question. Neil Clever, here's a question for you a bit of trivia. Where did the rear light cluster come from for the Virage? Um, Vauxhall? No. Or Granada? Oh, Sirocco. Facelifted Sirocco. Sirocco. Really? Yeah. yeah. Facelifted Sirocco. Um, Edward Lovett. This is a thing that people not know about Edward Lovett. There's a little bit of trivia that actually, in his own mind, he thinks he's James Bond. So this is going to, it's going to be incredible to see how he answers this. Also really, biographical. He's just looking in the mirror. Go on, Edward. Well, thank you for that, Christopher. And uh, you're not wrong. However, today, Michael, I am the creative director of James Bond. So uh, Neil, Neil's wrong. Manish is wrong. And uh, as the creative director, I can do whatever I fucking want. So, exactly. um, yeah. So Mr. Bond is having, and you did say a new car. So, Neil, I do like the, the, the DB12 idea, but I don't think they've launched the DB12 Volante yet, have they? And obviously, no. we need to... It, these are our two-car garages, so one has to have a... Uh, com, one has to be convertible. Those are the rules. So a 296 GTS is going to be my modern car. Yeah. Um, and is that an Aston Martin? Uh, it could be, yeah. It just puts sort of super legera badges on the front bonnet, okay. and it could uh, it could yeah. be disguised as a as an Aston Martin. So I think two nine six GTS. I think as a modern Bond car, hybrid, um, V six convertible. I think I think that's a good choice. And then my car from the eighties. Now most two car garages have to contain. A Porsche, obviously, that should really be the other rule, or a ten-car garage, or something like that. And now, yes, I am Bond, and I still do like a tailored suit, but you know, most of the time, I do like to wear a collecting cars T-shirt and shorts. That's really what I wear. So I've decided instead of me wearing a pinstripe, I'm going to put the pinstripe into the car. So you know, one of the best seats with a pinstripe 
is a 3.2 Carrera Club yeah, Sport. So yeah. That's going to be my tailored pinstripe suit. Um, and that is going to be my two-car garage. Yeah. Okay. The bad ones will never get me. And this is this is like this is James Bond, not James Bondetti or James yeah. Bond. Yes, I'm the crazy he's, director. He's James Bond Bond one day, then he's James Bondetti the next day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. He's 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 a pan. I'm gonna have my I'm gonna have my secret lair. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have my secret lair in uh, in Swindon. What's amazing is we're watching this. It was dark when we started as ever, and it's light now. I've not yeah, seen what's that, that bridge. Yeah, that the, well, I haven't got a particularly good room to be honest with you, but this Sydney Bridge is just here. But what a fucking beautiful city this is! Look, that the, is you yeah. can't quite see them, but the yachts yeah. in the harbor here, and there's the, that small little island just over there somewhere. I, and the I yacht, could show the you Hemel were, Hempstead through that window there if anyone's interested. The yachts were racing around there uh, yesterday uh, 18 afternoon. foot Sydney Harbour skiffs, yeah. Simon Learn lives there, monkey. Does he? He's a big, big time sailor in those 18, 18 foot Sydney Harbour skiffs. They're like, it's like supercars on water. It's just gone, they've gone completely bonkers. Um, I know nothing about boats, as is as proved by my choice of boat. Uh, right, Chris Cooper. Uh, who are you? Who are you going to go with in terms of brand, and what model is you going to go for? So I've written down Hawker Tempest. The okay. reason I wrote down Hawker Tempest today, the internet told me, so it must be true. A Hawker Tempest flew for the first time in fifty years. It's been rebuilt at Seawold, Seawold, going yeah. to um, Duxford. I thought okay. it was brilliant, beautiful thing. Yep. Anyway, yep. so. Um, so this is a new James Bond film. It's a new James Bond. It's a new direction. So it depends what kind of Bond it's going to be. But I think there's some givens. I think there's some givens. It's got to be British. It's got to be British. And I think it's got to be a bit of a, a bit of a look to the past and a bit of a look to the future. But I think the look to the future has got to have something nostalgic and in the past in it as well. And because I am the creative director, I can wave a magic wand because it's a Bond film and Bond films can make any fantasy reality. No one's ever said this to you before, Chris, but your foreplay is going on too long. Okay. <laughs> the first car, the old one, it's got to be Lotus Esprit Turbo. Yes. Ooh. From your eyes only. Not the white one, the copper fire one. That sort of bronzy colour. It's called copper you fire. Go, you going with skis on the roof or not? Yeah. It's yeah. Fire, isn't it? It's got to have skis yeah. on the roof. Yeah. So a copper fire, the one that doesn't blow up when it says it's got a burglar alarm and he pulls the door and the thing blows up. So the one that was filmed in Cortina, um, that you have that one. Um, the new car. The new mm. car. I see most of us have just ignored the fact that They've got to come from the same manufacturer, as have I. Because <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't think of this, Neil. I think the new car in my fantasy world would be a new Bristol. No. Oh. A new Bristol. Mm. Because it's just got that unbelievable, wonderful British sort of Heritage as well as it always felt there's something slightly contemporary about it, even in the old stuff. I'm going to put you Classic. on the spot. 
Given this is a company that has given us the fighter, the brigand, and gone as well as what would you call it? I kind of think I like Tempest. That's kind of why one of the reasons I wrote that down. Ooh. I know it's not a Bristol thing. Um, Brabazon, it's not Bristol Brabazon, that's too big. Brabazon is? I saw that again. Yes, today that's as well. a massive aeroplane, isn't it? That was the size a of a massive aeroplane that flew once and that was it. Because no. oh, I suggest a name. How about how about the Bristol Melchit? <laughs> the bazooka. Yeah. Also known as the Cardinal. Yes. The Bristol hairnet. Bristol moustached, moustachioed hairnet. So I think you'd have a modern day Bristol. No, okay. I, I think that I think that's a, a, powered by. Uh, it's going to be a Siamese. It's going to be two Siamese Chrysler V tens put together, making the world's first V twenty. W twenty. That would be interlocked. These are end to end. Yeah. Oh right. <laughs> oh well, like that. Yes. You okay. see. Yes. You see. And the bonnet would be thirty eight feet long. Yeah, and the and the and the mascot would be Neil Clifford leaning into the wind like that. Uh, <laughs> It'd be like right, that bloke who put the Berlin engine in that thing that was we all dared us off to buy recently. But yeah, yeah. So th I, th I think you've all done well, but you've sadly you've proved why none of you should be creative director of anything. So oh. I'm the creative director. My story begins somewhere in the French Riviera, where my life has become complicated. Um, I'm up to my nuts in prostitutes. Um, all sorts of substances I shouldn't be, wine, people I shouldn't be around. Uh, and there's a boat that I can't afford to run. So I'm in the shit and I need some money. So I start doing deals with car companies because I think I can get a brand deal on board for James Bond. And I tell everyone else at Eon Productions that I'm wooing Ferrari and Aston Martin. But in reality, I've gone to China because they've got a fuck ton of money and they want to be in Bond. Yes. So I've gone, to, I've gone to a company that used to be British that's doing rather well right now. And I've said to them, you need James Bond driving an MG. And they've gone, we're fucking in for it. And I've said, <laughs> I'll get you into the Bond franchise if you give me 50 million quid personally. But I'll keep it a secret. We'll do a big unveiling. So Eon, go down to the Riviera. And there I unveil their two cars for the Bond franchise. It's already signed up. The paperwork's done and dusted. I'm thinking the boat's paid for. I'm scot-free. I'm drinking nothing but protein shakes the rest of my fucking life. And I unveil an MG RV8 because it's got that retro look. It's a V8. Bond's going to look spectacular in it. And he can also talk at length about the ladder chassis and how ultimately it's quite a reliable form of transport. And he's going to have an MG4 EV to show oh. his eco-credentials. But he's going to have a back seat that falls down so he can splice birds. And then it's absolutely, he's a bang on, he's sorted out. There's nothing can go, it could be men. I don't, I don't really mind what he's doing in it. But ultimately, MGRV8, MG4 EV, 50, 50 million quid in the bank. And I'm, 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 I'm walking on sunshine to quote a famous pop song. Uh, can you argue against that, any of you? No. No, no, you win. Where would you start? <laughs> right. No, MG. MG right now in the UK is selling twice as many cars as Renault so far. It's amazing. And, and do you know what? They're, they're, I had a go in one. There's no argument. If we're, if we're being reduced to buying white goods, why not buy one of those? It's bloody yeah. cheap. It goes well. It looks good. Why would you buy an ID whatever if you can have one of those? Isn't it because they're selling them for 20 grand below cost? Probably. Yeah. Well, they've yeah. got big advantages, haven't they, in the supply chain and batteries and stuff and I know. I mean, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it's good. I'm not sure it's good news. Before they've even come out of the factory. For the consumer. Um, yeah. Fair now, enough. Yeah. 
I'm going to bring this to a close by saying we should. I've, I've chosen a song because I'm in Italy and I've always wanted to tell people about this song. I'm sure one of you will know about it, probably Manish. So in 1972, because I'm in Italy, an Italian singer called Adriano Celentano wanted to demonstrate that if you made a song that sounded like it was sung in English, it would go straight to the top of the charts. And you might be aware of this song. It is a song that is entirely gibberish. It has no meaning to it at all. It's a series of sounds that sound like him singing in English. You have to Google it because the name of the song is about 17 letters long and it makes no sense at all. But it's a gibberish song that went to number one to prove that Italian people in 1972 would rather listen to English sounding songs. It's so brilliant and the video is so brilliant. I insist that you go and Google it right now. That's my music for the week. Who would you like to go? Oh, Neil, off to you, please. Oh, sorry, darling. Um, there are millions of wonderful songs, millions and millions and millions, and then there are a few incredibly special songs, isn't there? There's like one or two per decade. Bohemian Rhapsody, um, Elton John, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And I was listening randomly to my little songs podcast. No, not a podcast. Um, Spotify list thing. It's got like 4,000 songs in it. And... Ian Jury and the Blockheads came up, hit me with... With your rhythm oh. stick. And actually, you know, it's old. My kids don't get it. What's that crap you're listening to, Dad? It is such an incredibly talented song. The words, the music, the rhythm, the people, the Top of the Pops video, this incredible character. It's just wonderful. So that's... There's my... a real theme to your... Uh podcast this week neil i feel yes very good very good manish but also how how can you make the phrase ich liebe dich sound so fucking good yeah. with an estuary accent it's just amazing listen uh, to the uh, bass listen to the bass on that song is that's amazing um okay manish over to you very very unpleasant weekend as we all know so uh, my song is Cat Stevens' Peace Train. Okay. Yeah. That's a good choice. A very good choice. Um, uh, Chris Cooper. So, I don't know we've already had this. We must have done, but I just can't find it on the list. I'm thinking about James Bond and Aston Martins. And I saw over the weekend, I just flicked on, and there on the television was No Time to Die. And that last scene when she's driving with Matilda... And Louis Armstrong, we have all the time in the world is playing. Wow, that is a good bit of film, that is. That's just really nice. And that's just, it is just a driving, lovely song. So, yeah. So, Louis Armstrong, we have all the time in the world. Mm. Edward, are you still with us or are you, or are you awake? I, you, I, haven't got any, I haven't got any Fred again, again. I need, I need to... I need to have a shower and go and eat some eggs and pork product downstairs. Well, Edward, a, a sterling effort from my from our fellow well done. Edward Lover, who started this at about 4.20 a.m., to Manish Pandey, who uh, who once again smashed it on the two-car garage, to Chris Cooper, who I gave far too shit, too much shit to during this podcast, which I apologise, because I love him dearly, but I've had about six pints, uh, and to Neil Clifford, who once again made us all look a bit average. Uh, thank you so much for coming along. Uh, Manish has got one more thing to say. It's an important piece of news from this week. Yes, uh, Formula One news, Max Verstappen, three times world champion. 
And there we go. That That's the news of this week's podcast. Go and look up that Italian song I told you about. It's absolute madness. See you next week. Bye. No Audis, no Audis were hurt in the making of this podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.